Hi, I'm Tony Mala, and welcome to the ASA Podcast, a program for automotive professionals that helps keep you ahead of what's now, what's new, and what's next in the business of automotive service and collision repair. This podcast is brought to you by the Automotive Service Association, dedicated to driving your success. And we'll be sharing information, insight, and inspiration that will not just help you make a living, it will help you make a difference. Hi, we're broadcasting from the Mobile Air Conditioning Society training event and trade show in Nashville, Tennessee this year. Max is celebrating its 40th anniversary, and it is my pleasure to interview some of the trainers that are at the show. And I have in front of me Pete Orlando. Pete is the Senior Curriculum Developer and Technical Instructor for the CarQuest Technical Institute. Hi, Pete. Good morning. One of the things that we talk a lot about in the industry is the need for ongoing training. And the way technology is changing in the automotive industry, it seems like the old rules don't apply in many cases. Your class caught my attention because the title of it was Electrical Systems Power Management on HVAC Operation. Tell me a little bit about what was the general theme of the class. Let's start there. Okay, well, it starts with the need in the industry for the technicians to understand electrical power management and how we are now monitoring current voltage and temperature consistently on a lot of these late model systems. And when the car starts up and the consumer sees all of these things come to life, heated seats, the um, advanced driver assist systems, the safety systems on board, a lot of what needs to be looked at by the onboard computers is the voltage. Mm -hmm. And when things occur on the car which affect the voltage in a lot of times, it'll set codes, it'll set DTCs, lights will come on on the dash, and that will set the stage for the consumer to bring the car in and uh, obviously explore getting it repaired by a professional shop. Our goal with this class was to make sure that the technicians understand it's not just a battery and an alternator or a generator anymore. There's a lot more to how the system is managed, which is going on across the electrical architecture of the system, which means I could broadcast the message for voltage and current, not just to the computers that require it at that moment in time, but across the network entirely. So if there's 86 modules on board, 86 modules are looking and monitoring that voltage. If anything was to occur, a drop in voltage, a voltage drop, for instance, we now have sensors that are connected to the battery where we can monitor this voltage, the current, and the temperature. And we do this consistently now on these late model cars. And if anything, as simple as a car coming in being towed in with a a no-start condition, the average technician might think it's okay to let's just say grab a jumper pack or grab the charger, depending on where the car is in the shop, and plug it in or put the jumper pack terminals on the battery. And it could, unfortunately, set other codes in the system by doing that. So a current sensor needs to see everything going in and out of a battery. Mm. And if somebody is jump-starting a vehicle, let's say with a, with a jumper pack, and they don't follow the manufacturer's procedures, and one of the major procedures that they have to look at and understand is that they need to take the charger pack and they would put the positive lead of the charger pack to the positive terminal of the battery and it would be nothing to think about taking the negative terminal and going directly to the battery and telling you know someone in the shop, go ahead, crank it up, let's see if it starts. Mm. And if they do that now, they actually blind charged 
the system. Electrically, the current sensor doesn't see any of that. So now you've taken a low voltage situation that the current sensor five seconds ago was seeing, and you now put voltage, right, a supplement supply voltage to the battery, which will now give the electrical system its boost. The car will start but the current sensor can't read that. Mm. So now it sets codes for, you know, charging system malfunctions because it just went from a low state of charge to an extremely high state of charge that it didn't register. It didn't see. It never read that. So, of course, it can never see it because you blind charged it. That's the purpose in the engine compartment. A lot of people ask, you know, what's the purpose of this jumper stud, you know, for the ground. Mm -hmm. That's a key point. They want you, they're encouraging us as service technicians to use the jump start stud in the engine compartment rather than go directly to the battery terminals. So something as simple like that when it comes to electrical power management, the technician could just simply, it's a harmless act. He's going to charge the battery and unfortunately he's going to set codes across multiple networks in the car potentially because of what he did just by trying to bring the car back to life by jump-starting the car in the bay. Hmm. Classic example of what I'm talking about. We've been doing things away for, you know, ever. What used to be simple and straightforward isn't so much anymore because of the increasing technology within the vehicles. As you mentioned, 86 modules are, are you know, sensing voltage. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest challenges we face as an industry, and you as a trainer know this, is keeping up with these sorts of things. Sure. The power management process we're describing is there anything that's common across vehicle marks anymore or is each manufacturer have their own little wrinkle that you need to know about that's a good term wrinkle yes there is an identification of hardware that most systems will have and that's either a current sensor or a, a generator sensor which would be on the positive cable mm -hmm. of the alternator but predominantly if it if it has any type of technology which includes power management where we're actually fine-tuning, if you will, the charge rate against the battery electron release rate. There's going to be a current sensor, more than likely on the negative cable. And that's going to be the mechanical component of that is the actual terminal that's bolted to the negative terminal of the battery. The electronics that are in that little microchip is really the meat and the potatoes of what the system could look at. Whether the key is off, it's in your garage, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're sleeping, it's monitoring open circuit voltage. So when you wake up in the morning and you open the door, it takes a snapshot. Mm -hmm. It knows exactly what the state of charge of the battery was at that moment. And it stores that. The algorithm over time uses that. So yes, there will be some hardware components that identify that the manufacturer is using a power management system. But the systems have subtle differences in the way they manage the, let's say, the load shed, mm -hmm. where they're going to cycle things off at 20% or cycle things off at 50%. As the battery begins to age, and let's say we'll, we'll use you know GM as an example. As General Motors sees the battery beginning to age and the car is running and you're at a light, you're waiting for the, you know, the light to change and the stop start system has enabled and you're shut off and you go to transition from the brake pedal to the accelerator it's counting and looking every single time at that cranking motor the starter motor each and every time that situation that event occurs so there's a safety aspect of this also where if you get to a certain point where they don't believe that the start could occur 
they won't shut it off. Hmm. So just from a stop-start standpoint, that system is now negated or just simply disabled. Or the consumer might say over time, you know what, on my commute in the morning for my 30 minutes, that car would shut off at least 25, 30 times. Now it's only shutting off like three or four times. So not only is it affecting their fuel economy, they're going to come in and potentially complain about that. Mm -hmm. So you could see where if the shop didn't, if they didn't, you know, if they weren't up on training, if they haven't taken some advanced level training to understand that system and look at that, get a description and operation of that system before they decided to work on it, the consumer is going to describe this problem to the best of their ability mm-hmm. when they're communicating their problem to the service advisor or the shop owner. You can imagine if that gets communicated and there's a little bit of a loss in communication between the shop owner and the advisor and the technician that gets that work order. Which is not unusual. Which is not unusual to find. But now, at at this particular event here at Max this year, the goal was to make sure that the technician's fixing air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to get a customer that comes in and says, I don't know what's going on, but my heated seats aren't working the way they they normally would. Mm -hmm. Now, I could see that that complaint might be regional. Right. You're not going to get too many people in South Florida saying their heated seats don't work. Right. But if that car is above the Mason-Dixon line in northern Michigan, I could think that it's just as important to someone trying to feel the comfort of warmth Mm -hmm. as it would be the comfort of, let's say, air conditioning in the summer. That complaint's going to come out and be rolled off the customer's tongue the way they believe the problem should be explained. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the shop doesn't know that that car maybe has load shedding. And we're not fixing an HVAC problem here. We're not fixing a climate-controlled seat problem. Today, the fix on that car potentially was a bad battery. Hmm. So great example of uh, they're not just getting smarter, okay? They're actually thinking for themselves. The systems, yeah. You've just described a system that would take a look at data over a period of time and following an algorithm, make decisions and predictions as to whether or not something is going to happen the way that it should and then take action to compensate for that failure. That is correct. Okay. So that level of sophistication, again, requires, I think, much deeper diagnostic knowledge. Correct. Absolutely. And for just the reason you described, customer consensus, my air conditioner doesn't work. It's cutting on and off. Okay. And as you say, it has nothing to do with the air conditioning system. It has to do with the battery. It's doing what it's told. What sorts of training procedures, I guess, uh, or service procedures would be a better way to put it, are things that the technicians need to be aware to pay particular attention to when it comes to to what we're describing in the electrical system. Excellent question. The thing here that they have to realize is when the car comes through the door, an all-module scan is almost in in everyone's interest right now. Mm -hmm. Because as I said, if you have multiple modules that have, let's just use, for example, a low battery code stored in all modules, Is that because the car was in an accident and it stayed in the body shop for a month and a half and nobody charged the battery? Or is it a a fresh problem where there is a a legitimate low voltage concern, there's an electrical problem on board? The first thing that they need to remember is don't go and grab the battery charger. Mm -hmm. Just don't go and check the battery initially. Have a good inspection process in the shop that everybody in the shop follows and it's consistent. When they hook up the scan tool and they scan for codes, if there are DTCs for the charging system, let's look that up. But don't just look at battery starting 
charging. Mm-hmm. Go down that circuit index list and look for something for electrical power management. Look at the wiring schematic. If the wiring schematic shows a battery sensor or a battery sensor module is part of the electronics on board this car, that unit generally could set codes against the electrical system if it senses malfunctions. The disconnect is if the battery current sensor isn't providing the proper information to those modules that are taking that information in and making decisions from it, the output, the charging system output percentages are all going to be out of whack. And unfortunately, the technician needs to start someplace. And my absolute insistence is that they start with an all-module scan. Make sure that the electrical system has got a good clean bill of health to begin with, and you know what you're up against before you start going into it. If the car is equipped with electrical power management, they need to understand the criteria for what the power management, the electrical system's power management system will do if it starts to see malfunctions or degradation of electrical power. What will it begin to start cycling off? Mm -hmm. And if it starts cycling loads, in this case, off, was it going to cycle it at? And if it does cycle things off, is it going to cycle it off at levels? Mm-hmm. Level one. You know, you get in a GM car and you're at a level one load shed, you're going to cycle things off like the rear defogger and the heated mirrors and the heated seats, 20%. Blow motor that was at 100% duty cycle, you're down to 80%. Might not be seen, might not be recognized by the consumer at level one. Take a GM, for example. They start up a brand new Cadillac. There's no level. There's no load shedding. Mm-hmm. As the car begins to age, those load shed levels will be seen by those computers on board, and it will go to a level one. And then if it doesn't get corrected or doesn't come back up, the electrical system doesn't come back, doesn't come back up to par, doesn't meet the performance criteria of that electrical system, it'll move to a level two load shed. And now things are going to begin getting interesting because now we're going to load shed items at 50% off. Hmm. So now your climate controlled seats, your heated you know, mirrors, your rear defogger, those items are going to be cycled off at 50%. And I think if you took the average consumer's conveniences away at 50%, that would affect the climate control. I think that's when the problems are going to start coming through the door and how that problem is going to get described is going to be important. It is. And I can see a couple of things here, one of which is it's more important, I think, to have a deeper conversation with the consumer as to what's happening to help identify these clues, it sounds like. Let me ask a couple of questions. Sure. Research seems to be something that is actually becoming more and more of an issue in the shop. In fact, so much so that I know some of the car manufacturers have actually done studies to see how much time technicians spend looking up not just specifications anymore. You're looking up diagnostic procedures and and information on system operations. TSBs and so forth. TSBs, that sort of thing, yeah. The the strategy, for lack of a better word, the protocol that a car manufacturer would design into the system as to what gets shed and when and how much, is there a chart I could look at that would say, okay, if this starts to happen, the first thing that's going to go is the rear defroster, okay? Do they have that written down anywhere in the service information? They do. And you would find that information? Generally, and again, we'll, we'll pick on General Motors as an example. Mm-hmm. You would find that under electrical power management. And for, for the most part, when a technician sees electrical power management, is he going to choose that? 
not initially. If he has a charge light, a bat light that's on on the dash, he's going to probably go down the tree for the generator. If he has a code, you know, a, a P062, whatever, that's looking at charging system high voltage, charging system low voltage, he might be concerned or go down the chart, which is going to assist him in trying to find that circuit deficiency with the alternator for the charging system. Mm -hmm. He might not be completely familiar with what the complaint was because he had the bat light was on. But if the opposite is true, if the consumer comes through the door and there's no telltale light on that's on the dash, he has no guidance of a light that's been lit up, it's not a malfunction indicator lamp of any sort, the consumer is basically coming in complaining about you know, an activity or complaining about a climate control feature or function that doesn't seem to be working the way it should. Mm -hmm. That's when the technician needs to go and look at electrical power management and source whether or not that system has some type of a load shed feature. And absolutely right, Tony, he'd be able to see specifically what would be load shed and at what percentage and of course, which system. So theoretically, by knowing that information, by being able to look it up and actually compare it to what a customer experience might be, you could actually use that as a diagnostic tool. So even the diagnostic processes themselves are evolving based on this technology. Is that an accurate observation? That is correct. And you, you have a charging system now which has what's called soft start regulation. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, and I talk to my veteran technicians all the time, I said, you remember when you started that car after it cranked for a couple of seconds and then it finally started? You remember that alternator whine we used to hear? Because now you took that energy out of the battery and the charging system is diligently looking to put that back. And it would just spike the charging system. You know, the field coil would energize and it would start to begin pumping out electricity as soon as the car started. I showed activity on the scan tool in my seminar today, which I, I showed that soft start regulation that you could see it when you shut the car off because it's working with an overrunning clutch. The rotor is free spinning. The energy doesn't just shut off. There's magnetism in there that has to dissipate. Mm -hmm. So you can actually see that on the scan tool. Shut the car off start the car up. You don't get that abrupt spike in charging system output. It's a gradual input. So if they did replace the alternator and they know what it's supposed to look like, they have a signature mm -hmm. of what it's designed to look like. And they've got, let's say they put that in their history. I tell them to store any and all information that you collect from a car and archive it. Put known good, as much known good information as you possibly can Put it in the hopper for later because you never know when you're going to need it. So if a car does come in and the alternator was replaced, yeah, you fix the charging system light. The car no longer has a charging system malfunction. But now the customer claims every time I start the car, I get this whining noise. Never had that until you replace the alternator. Hmm. Is it possible that the internal circuitry of that alternator doesn't have that soft start regulation feature? Yes. The answer to the question is yes. Wow. Yeah, we showed that in the seminar today. And, you know, a lot of the technicians had really great, great questions. And one of which was, it's just like what you just asked. Where do I get that information? Because this is great, but if I can't find it for the car I'm working on, I said, it's in-service information. You just have to take the time. And I tell, you know, technicians all the time, it's time. Yeah. It's time that you take the time to just not walk up to the car with a scan tool. Take the time, fix the car on paper. You have an electrical malfunction, fix the car on paper before you fix the car in the bay. 
And what I mean by that is look for your troubleshooting procedures on the schematic. Mm-hmm. The schematic can give you an overall understanding, details into how the system and the harnesses are laid out, and more importantly, where you're going to go in the vehicle to make your specific, let's say, component level tests. Mm-hmm. So the scan tool shows me what the computers are seeing on board, but it can't tell me whether or not the data that it's checking or looking at is correct. So that's where the component level tests come in. So when I tell you know technicians to look at the wiring schematics for the car, try and analyze it on paper first and understand what it's supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Once I understand that, and then I could put the description and operation together with the electrical schematics, now we're fixing cars, now we're troubleshooting. And when it's broke, the stress just drops off their shoulders. You could see it mm-hmm. in their face because it's a stressful position to be in when the work order says, you know, electrical problem towed in, check it for a no crank, right. no start. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I, I've seen many work orders with the words car died on it. Can you be a little bit more specific, please? Yeah. Well, you know, it's just, again, an indication of just how much things have changed. Yeah. And, you know, the comment you made about scanning, the first thing you do is, is pull the code, see, what's, see what the system is telling you is, is hurting, okay? This has been the subject of a great deal of conversation on the collision side of the industry because a car comes in for a collision and now they want to do a pre and post vehicle scan. There's been a lot of conversation about that. Even though it would seem obvious to anybody who's is on the repair side, of course you want to do that. Finding the, the language to justify the process and explain it to the customer as much as it is anything else as to why and what they're paying for when it comes to things like research. And again, as you said, it's time. Time is what we sell. And a lot, I know a lot of shops often struggle with, you know, how can I justify the, you know, $150 an hour diagnostic fee? You just did. Let me explain to you what we do for that, okay? We have to go and research. It takes time to dig everything up, compare things. You're actually doing what I seem to remember my doctor doing to me in blood tests, CAT scans, all the diagnostic procedures that we have to go and pay for just to find out what the real problem is as opposed to what the perceived problem is. Same is true on the automotive side. That's right. It's protocol. You go in, I have a temperature. Well, it's pretty obvious to the doctor, your body, your body must be fighting something off, right? There's some type of an infection. It's so true. And when they're doing the, the all-module scan, one thing to keep in mind is that they have to be prepared for the customer to say yes. Mm-hmm. Please repair it. If they're not prepared, you can do all the scanning that you want. I need to determine if that module setting that code because there's actually something wrong or you see something that someone else potentially did and they didn't clear the codes and there really is nothing wrong with the vehicle that comes up in conversation quite often and in the case of hvac because this is a a system that or systems that's the key that could be load shedded and that complaint comes out of the blue just you know the heated seats were working fine two days ago now they seem to be And the technician needs to explore, do a little bit more research when the car comes through the door, especially if they do an all-module scan and there are DTCs present in memory. They have to determine if that's, is that a pending code? You know, is that a Mm full-blown DTC? Or is it something that was maybe corrected, you know, potentially with a collision shop and the car was involved in a frontal collision two weeks ago? If you didn't ask that question of the consumer, you'll have no idea. You know, oh yeah, it wasn't an accident. Really? What happened? Somebody backed into me, or I ran into something. I think you'd want to write that down on the work order, yeah. especially if you're dealing with, let's say, a late model car with you know, any type of uh, 
advanced driver assist systems on it, I would definitely need to take that into consideration and write that down on the work order. It has to be part of my, my process. This is exactly the type of information that I think a lot of technicians aren't even aware they need to know. And this is the type of information that you will pick up and be able to take advantage of when you do come to these training events. CTI is very well known for their training, as is, as is WorldPAC. We're very proud of our classes, yes. And you should be, yeah. These are the kinds of things that a technician will find at a CTI course or a world-class course. That is correct. And they can get that on ctionline.com and look at their local classes that are scheduled in their local areas. And Pete, I know you're a regular here at the MAX convention, and you've done a lot of training on the HVAC side. Any uh, words of wisdom for the springtime coming up? Yes. When there's an air conditioning performance complaint, don't run to get the RRR machine first. Uh -huh. Do your research. Listen to what the customer is telling you and ask them questions. Because a lot of times, it has nothing to do with refrigerant in the system, especially on these late model cars. Always ask, you know, to the best of your knowledge, you know, if you had any car, is the car been involved in a vehicle collision? Has any work been done to correct this problem previously or in the past? You know, all those questions are very, very important questions that need to be asked at the point of service when the consumer comes through the door. I think if that message gets rel relayed to the technician correctly, they might not start with the AC equipment. They might just start with a good vehicle inspection. And a lot of times that uncovers problems right up front in the beginning and they don't really need to do any labor intensive actions on the car initially and it just you know when you save the customer whatever money we could save them initially up front without having to do you know these these major services on the car i think the customer in the end absolutely appreciates it we're serving the customer correctly and we're doing it right you know the right way the first time and we just hope that we could you know ask the technicians to just listen very carefully I see this all the time, and I will leave you with this. When's the last time you had an interesting service experience, whether it's getting coffee or at a restaurant, where someone didn't listen to what you were telling them? They wrote it down incorrectly. Your meal comes out or your coffee gets you know, served to you, and it's not right. And I look at whoever I'm with, and I say, it's all listening. Just listen, communication goes back, make sure you listen to what the customer is telling us and write everything down. You never know when you're going to need it. That's my tech tip for the spring. Great last words. Uh, Pete Orlando, Senior Curriculum Director and Technical Instructor for the CarQuest Technical Institute and this year at Max Instructor. Pete, thanks for your time. It's been great. Uh, we will definitely have to do this again. Thank you so much. I would love to. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're brand new to the ASA podcast or if you've been here before, I encourage you to subscribe so you won't miss some of the great things we have coming up in our future episodes. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and you'll be good to go. If you enjoy our podcast and find our content valuable, make sure to leave a rating and review wherever you are listening to this. And if you're an automotive service facility shop owner listening to this podcast and you'd like to know more about ASA, I invite you to visit our website at asashop.org. I'm Tony Mala, and thanks for listening.